to All Ears at Child's Voice, a podcast discussing all things hearing loss. We aim to connect parents of children with hearing loss with the professionals who serve them. We're your hosts. I'm Tatum Fritz. And I'm Jessica Brock. Last week, we spoke with Teresa Harp about counseling families on communication mode. And before we get into this week's episode, Tatum and I wanted to check in with our listeners about something. Jessica and I wanted to kind of remind everybody about our own expertise, which I think we meant if way back, depending on how long you've been listening, we mentioned this in our very first episode. We are a listening and spoken language program, so Child's Voice works um, with families and children on developing listening and spoken language skills, and then that's Jessica's and my background. As a podcast discussing all things hearing loss, other communication modalities might come up, um, especially in our last two episodes, sign language was mentioned and acute speech was mentioned. In today's episode, we'll also be talking about sign language and deaf culture. And just to be open and honest with everyone, this is these are not like the areas that Jessica and I have expertise or very much experience in. Yeah, but that being said, like our intentions are really good. We respect all of our families' communication choices, and really, openness is key to us. So if um, any listeners feel that we've misspoken or um, could better clarify something, we are very open to learning. So feel free to reach out to us. All of our contact information is at the end of the podcast. In addition to us, we are human, but so are our guests, and they have been very gracious to offer um, their time and their stories with all of you. So please be open-minded and... Yeah, yeah but as always, feel free to give feedback, um, and we're learning just as you guys are learning and just as our guests are still learning, so... Yeah. All right, so now we will move on to today's discussion. Today we will be talking with a mom of a child with hearing loss. Her name is Dawn, and she has so graciously offered to share her journey with us. Welcome, Dawn. Thank you. Uh, yes, welcome. Uh, Dawn has a fascinating story, and we're going to get more into that in a moment. But why don't we start by just having you tell us briefly about your son? Okay. I will have a three-year-old in less than a month. My son and I have an unbreakable bond. He is loving and caring. He definitely likes to be heard. He enjoys mm-hmm. looking at books and playing with cards. Skylar is... Very cute and adorable. And I does like to be heard. <laughs> <laughs> we will be talking with Don about her story, her son, and then their use of cochlear implants and sign language. So first, do you mind sharing with the listeners your experience with sign language prior to having Skylar? Okay, sure. When I was in elementary school, one of the girl members of my Girl Scout was deaf and blind. Her family would come and teach the Girl Scout truth ASL and Braille. Another experience was in middle school. My school partnered up with a neighborhood school that allowed students at my school to work with kids who have special needs during their gym period. I was able to work with students who were deaf, hard of hearing, or language impaired. I was exposed to sign language during this experience. This experience led to me wanting to learn more. I took American Sign Language for four years in high school. I loved the experience so much that I decided I want to be a deaf education teacher. When were you exposed to that? In middle school, you said? Yeah, no, elementary school. I was in like fifth grade. That's such a cool program. Did you opt into it, or was it like an elective, or how did that work? So the first time I learned, there was a girl who was deaf and blind in my Girl Scout troop, and so the mom just kind of wanted to come in and teach us and sign and braille. So yeah. um, all the girls learned, and it was pretty cool. That's so cool. Yeah, it was really cool. I didn't realize you took it 
for four whole years. Yeah, in high school. Yeah, after um, in middle school after I uh, experienced an adjunct. So all the students had an option to go over and volunteer. I decided that I wanted to do it the entire gym period. They had me like do some extra things, but I was fine with it. Um, and so I got to work with the deaf hard of hearing students for an entire year. Great experience. And then I wanted to continue in high school, so I would go back and volunteer there. Like through the high school, they worked with them as well. Um, and so yeah, it was a great experience. So tell us a little bit about your understanding of the deaf community. Like, did you know only people who were deaf who signed, or did you also know people who had hearing aids? What was that like? Yeah. So most of the students at the school, I don't believe, had any device. They had other really um, disabilities. So. I don't believe anyone there had hearing aids or implants. Um, and then I knew some people in the, like, the community who were deaf. They did not use devices. They just used sign. And most of it was like home signs. So they didn't like, they weren't like using ASL. It was more of a sign language. And then in high school, I don't think there were, there were no deaf students. Or there were like no students or deaf part of hearing. And my teacher, um, her husband was actually deaf. So I saw him for the first time with hearing aids. That was the first time I saw a, a person with a uh, device. So I didn't know anyone prior to who used like hearing aids or implants. Okay, so elementary school, Girl Scout. Yes. yes. Middle school, helping in gym class. Yeah, it was a neighborhood school that um, had kids that were like had special needs. Yes. And so we could volunteer during right. that gym period oh, okay. to help them during their gym period. Yeah. Oh, and okay. then in high school, you took ASL. Yeah, of course works. And then your ASL teacher has a husband who had, who's deaf with yeah. hearing aids. Yeah, okay. with hearing aids. So was it just that initial experience with the girl in your Girl Scout troop that led you into like that kind of path that you like walked down the path of? Because you didn't know anyone in your family or anything like that who had hearing loss, correct? No, well, one of my cousins did, but I don't know much about that story. So yeah. um, actually, after the experience in Girl Scouts, I really wasn't really into it. Um, when I went to middle school and I was able to volunteer at the, at the neighborhood school is when I really fell in love with it. Okay, so then... Fast forward, you had Skylar, yeah. and um, tell us a little bit about the journey to his diagnosis. Well, prior to having him, I was a preschool teacher, and I was teaching my students like basic sign for having Skylar. And then, yeah, Skylar was born. He was like doing well, and he was in a program at the school district. And they were asking me about like his physical and his hearing screening, and um. I had his physical, but the hearing screening, I just couldn't find. And so I was like, you know, you can go ahead and do another one. It took two seconds. So um, she tested him. He failed the initial screening. She asked me a month later if she could do it again. I was like, sure. And then he failed again. So she tried it on me, and I passed. So she was like, you know, you might want to take a man to get checked. We took a man, and the initial test, they were like, you know, we should go get his ears cleaned out. Maybe, maybe some wax and just try again. They didn't tell us the results initially. So let's get his cleaned out, and we'll see what the results are. And then we took him back to do booth testing again. And that's when he told us that he was, I think, like mild to moderate at the mm -hmm. first test. And how old was he at this point in time, roughly? I think about 13 months. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So then did you go back for more testing? Yeah, we went back. We were going back probably every week. Oh, my <laughs> so God. Test. Yeah. And then um, probably the third week, they were saying he was like mild to moderate. We transferred and they were saying he was severe to profound. In that same week, which is pretty scary. Yeah. Yeah. He was progressive. He had progressive hearing loss. So, okay. that also has played a role. But yeah. 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 That's a lot of information to receive in a week. Yeah. And all of this is happening when he's around 13 months. 
Uh, or was it spread out? It was like, like two more, more team months. Okay. Maybe even like a month at that point. So his hearing loss was progressive. Did yes. you have any feeling that something might be going on with his hearing prior to that testing? He was talking a little bit. Yes and no. His dad had some concerns because he would come in and close the door and Skyly wouldn't look. But I didn't really feel like he had hearing loss. I was, he, he, would, he would talk really loud and I was only concerned that something was going on. Mm-hmm. But um, I didn't think he had hearing loss. It wasn't, I didn't think it was that. So, mm-hmm. so then at 13 months to... It's just around the time kids start saying words, so mm-hmm. it would probably be just around the time that you might start noticing the yeah. concern. Well, he had about 25 words, like, at that point when we found out he was. Okay. And he was kind of, like, starting to lose it a little bit, but I didn't think it was hearing loss still. So that wasn't something I thought mm-hmm. could be going on, so. Had you started teaching him some signs prior to all of this, given your background in sign mm-hmm. language? Yeah, so the day Skyler was born, I started to, like, teach him sign. I would sign songs to him or just, like, teach him little basic signs. So, mm-hmm. yes, he did. Um, was it your goal when he, what was your goal for him, for his communication when he was born? Yeah. So I wanted him to, um, to learn Spanish, learn sign, and French. We were exposing him to a few different languages um, as a baby, so we wanted him to. Wow. <laughs> communicate with different people. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that about the other languages. Uh, do you know people who use Spanish and French? Or yeah, so I took French. In? I took French oh. in middle school, actually. <laughs> yeah, and then um, there was someone that was with us who was speaking Spanish to him daily, so he was exposed to both. And I would just teach him sign. Um, yeah. So he's exposed to a lot of different languages. So he's been diagnosed, it's a progressive loss. Were they talking to you yet about devices? Like, how early did your audiologist start bringing up yeah. hearing aids or implants? Yeah. So, um, initially, they were not really telling us a lot at all, which was really frustrating. Um, we started, kept asking them questions. They were kind of, I don't know, I think they were nervous about um, just how fast things were happening. And so, I think they recommended doing the ABR first um, and then, I think, giving us an option. And I believe a month after the ABR, he had his hearing aid. I'm not sure why they weren't sharing information with us, but they were just, um, I don't know, kind of, maybe they, they were probably nervous about telling us because um, he lost his hearing so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after the ABR, he received hearing aids like a month later. And then his dad and I asked about COVID implants. That was an option for him. We wanted to learn more. So we started to kind of pressure them and ask them questions. He was a candidate and just how that whole process like worked. So we did ask that after he had his ABR. Yeah. And with your background, coming from someone who knew first about hearing loss through the culturally deaf community, mm-hmm. had you heard about cochlear implants? Did you have thoughts about them before Skylar's diagnosis? Yeah, so I definitely know a lot about cochlear implants. We learned about it in high school, um, so it was like the term is familiar. I just had never seen anyone with them, and I was like, so I'm going to be the first one with implants. We had not know how to feel yeah. about this. So, yeah, um, I was really nervous when they finally did say he would need them. I wanted Skylar to be the person to decide if he wanted to get them or not. I felt like horrible making the decision for them. So that can be really hard. I think yeah. I feel like a lot of parents have said the similar thing. Like there is a pressure to make that decision early, but when you make it early, like you're the only like you can't have his input, which is yeah. really can I imagine it could be really frustrating. Yeah. I wanted to wait till he was at least five so he can tell me yes or no, but there's no long we waited. He would have more just like delays with his speech. So, 
I finally said yes. <laughs> <laughs> what research did you do besides talking to the audiologist about cochlear implants? Um, I was still on the computer <laughs> and just like typing cochlear implants and looking at the device and mm -hmm. uh, how they look on people and just anything I could find. I wanted to meet parents, meet families with them. That really helped me seeing other people with them on um, and then just learning about their stories and the process like they went through to get them and went through similar situations that I did. So it was nice to learn that I wasn't alone. I didn't feel, feel that way alone, so that was pretty nice. Yeah. How did you get connected with those parents? I feel like you've done a lot of reaching out to other families and people in the deaf community. How have you made those connections? Yeah, so I um, asked this therapist <laughs> like all the time, like, please connect me with families. Um, we'd find events in the community to go to, and I would just ask parents and families. They wanted to talk about their stories, and yeah, just networking was the way we found out and learning more about the device. Because prior, you had never even seen it on a person, oh, correct? Person. Yeah. So it was probably helpful, I imagine, to see other kids yeah. who were a little older than Skylar with them. Yeah, just to hear them talk, I think, really helped me feel better about them. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you agree to do the cochlear implants. What's your perspective on his um, communication options at that point? Because cochlear implants sort of signify like a listening and spoken language approach, but you also have the sign language background. So talk through us, just your thoughts about his communication options at that point. Yeah, so um, after he received his implants, um, he was still using ASL. Um, and I was open to like, if he didn't want to use it anymore, I would allow him to, to stop. And at this point, he doesn't really use it much anymore. But um, I still sign to him because when he has implants off, he can't hear anything. And so the notes, uh, those times he does sign to me, he will, if he feels like I'm understanding him, he will use some sign. But when his implants are on, he's chatting away. So he's definitely breaking away from him, but I still will sign to him sometimes um, yeah. when we're home. Yeah. It's been sort of a journey with him. Like he has had moments of time where he's using a lot of sign and yeah. not talking as much and then talking more and using less sign. How do you navigate that? Yeah, I just really follow his lead. If he feels that he needs the sign to, to be clear about what's being said, then I'll use it. Um, if he's telling me, like, Mom, just talk to me, <laughs> then I, you know, respect that. So I really try and follow Skyler's lead. So we know that you've been involved with Child's Voice, and we've been helping you with the listening and spoken language side of things. Who um, in your life, Skyler's life, has been helping you with like, the sign language side of things? Um, so he has a deaf mentor, two deaf mentors. And they've been very helpful. They're very open. So they're open to him using the oral approach or using sign. I've also taken some sign language classes after high school. I've taken two courses. And they're also open. They know that he has implants. And I was talking to them about their pain. You know, just, just, you know, learning more about how they feel about it. And they've been very helpful just, you know, telling me to do what I feel is best and do what Skyler, you know, what he needs. If he wants to use sign, if he doesn't. So just following Skyler's lead. Do we want to talk about that a little bit yeah, more? Yeah, like the controversy. What I know based on courses that I took years ago, so things may have changed between now and then, um, there is what we sometimes refer to as like the culturally deaf or capital D deaf community, which are people who are deaf and don't use amplification and use sign language. 
And then the opposite end is people who have a degree in hearing loss and then use amplification and are learning listening and spoken language. And then they're all different variants in between. Mm-hmm. But sometimes those two different worlds can uh, clash and that there can sometimes be controversy between those two. Do you want to talk a little bit about any experience that you have with that? Sure. So I've had um, a lot of experience with that, honestly. And then when I have Skyler present, it doesn't make things better there. Yeah, people um, are very opinionated, and they'll sometimes tell me, why did you get this for your kid? Like, people that are in that, like, deaf world who don't use any amplification, they're really against um, hearing aids and implants. When they see my son, they're like, why did you do this to him? Like, what are you doing? Sometimes I'll respond, and sometimes I'm just kind of like, I'll just, you know, walk away and I'm a little Skyler. And there's others who are like, this is awesome that you did this, got your son implants and, you know, he's able to, he still uses sign, which is awesome. And so, yeah, people are just, I've gotten both sides, people that are supportive of it and people that are like, what are you doing? There's a guy that I know who uh, is deaf, doesn't use any device. And I was like, aside from my son to meet him, I was like, look, my son's deaf too. Like, and I was really excited for him to meet him and he did not respond really well at all. And I was like, you know, it was, yeah, it was difficult to, um. Like, just his response kind of made me feel bad, but um, it was okay. I was like, you know, I now understand that when he grew up, that what the device wasn't available when he grew up, and so he has his opinion. And, like, you know, he has a reason why he believes the things that he does, and so I respect his opinion as well. But I just was really excited to share that my son had implants and so you sign. Um, he was not happy about my choice, so yeah, yeah, that's gonna be tough. Before he had implants, I would see people respond that way to people, and so I knew it was coming, yeah, but. <laughs> Have you been able to talk to other families about their experience with that? I have not, actually. No. I think of the families that I work with, I think you're more involved in the deaf community mm-hmm. than a lot of. So I can see yeah. you being in a position where that would happen a little bit. Yeah. It would be very tough to face as a parent, though. Yeah. I mean, like I said before, my son has implants. I've heard people's opinion about it, and I kind of knew people, like, you know, are, are against getting device. And so I'm always aware that some, someone might, you know, not like that he has implants and so I respect their pain um I just don't like if they're you know trying to attack me you can say that's why I got you know but just don't try to make me feel terrible about doing it um we had we were at um no at the ASL chat and there was a guy there who was like talking really bad about cochlear implants and um, I didn't share with him that my son had them so I just let him talk (laughs) and just express how he felt I was like, I definitely should not share anything with him. And then he wanted to add me on Facebook, and there was a picture of my son on there. Oh, no. <laughs> and so he removes me. And I was like, you know, if that's how he feels, you know, that's fine. He didn't say anything about my son in person. He was just sharing how he felt about him, and he felt that it was changing, you know, who the person, the person was born without the earth, you know, may have lost their hang, and they should stay that way. And um, I felt he had, um, he had a valid point, or a valid reason for why he felt that way, but... Um, yeah, so I just listened to him. I allowed him to express how he felt. And I didn't share with him that my son had implants at that moment. <laughs> he found out later. Yeah. Then, so that's understandable. Yeah. I know you mentioned sometimes when you are approached, sometimes you say something and sometimes you walk away. In the moments that you say something, do you have like a prepared response or something, a go-to response? It really depends on the person. If they're like really upset and angry about it. And if the person is kind of like more open, I'll express how I feel, but some people can be really angry that he has implants and so I just um, I'll just smile and walk away yeah. yeah conversely I think there are some people in the listening and spoken language world who have a hard time understanding why a family like would do that like there are extremes of both mm-hmm. I think sides 
Have you experienced any of that? Questioning about the use of sign language with him? Most times people are pretty like, they're like, wow, I can't believe you're still using sign. He has implants. I don't feel like I've been questioned a lot. People are kind of telling me like not to use it because of the implants, but Mm -hmm. they're not like, why are you still using it? Why are you doing it? So most times people are like, you know, really happy that I'm still using it and he has Mm -hmm. the implants. That's what we get more. People are applauding us for still teaching it to him. Like you said in the beginning, Skylar is a, uh, likes being heard. <laughs> um, and he definitely, I've seen him at different points in time use different ways to communicate what he needs. And he, he's just so curious. <laughs> Last, um, when I saw him most recently, he was doing his please, please. Yeah. He's like, uh, for our listeners, he's putting his hands together like he was praying and like looking up at this adorable please. It is so cute. He's becoming his own person, which is really cool. And it's, I love that you guys give him so many different tools for him to express those things. Beyond just sign and spoken language, you also give him like pictures to point to. And I remember um, before I even met you, you texted me and asked for a picture of me so you can add it to his visual schedule in the day. Like you guys are just so open to giving him what he needs to understand his world and to communicate with you. That's really cool. If I can brag on you for a second, I think that's really cool. Thank you. <laughs> It sounds like the main reason that you were hesitant to decide on cochlear implants was that you wanted it to be Skylar's choice. And as we know, because of the way the brain develops, it's beneficial to do it earlier. So that's one reason why you did it earlier. But were there any other reasons you were hesitating to go ahead with the cochlear implants? No, I just really felt that I was like, this is Skylar's body. I felt like he should make the decision. Um, And so this day I felt bad. I remember after he had his implants, I literally cried to put him on his head every single day. They have to come over, and I'm like, we had a rough time getting them on, but they're on. And she's like, you have to stop, like, showing him that, you know, it hurts you and stuff. And I think it took me a month to stop crying. He does like them. He loves his implants. Um, But he was having, initially, when they got turned up, they were too loud, and so it kind of scared him a little bit. So it was a rough um, rough time putting them on him um, in the morning. But once they were on, he loved them. He kept them on. It was that period of putting them on his head. (laughs) Did it get easier? Um, it did. And, like, now he asks for them. He'll go when he's, like, trying to grab his ears and stuff. So it is a lot easier now. But I still think about it. It's like, I wonder what he'll say when he's able to talk to me. Like, if he'll thank me or he'll be upset with me. So yeah. we'll see. I think it's really admirable that you're giving him all the tools, like I said it earlier. Um, but I understand that that can feel risky or unsure. Yeah. Um, and like you've said, you've been following his lead this whole time. And as he gets older, you can continue to follow his lead. Mm-hmm. When he starts thinking about his own identity as someone with hearing loss, someone who uses implants, someone who is deaf, mm-hmm. um, you can continue to follow his lead. Yeah. I did not know that about the beginning. Yeah. Since you come to the center, I see you at the center, not at the home. Yeah. Like you learn less. So it's very challenging. At one point, I was like, he doesn't have to use these things anymore. He doesn't like them. He's crying. It's really tough. He doesn't need to wear them. And so I just think positive about it, and that kind of helped me um, get through it. But it was very, very challenging. I also think, too, it's really important to communicate, and you do, you do communicate with your audiologist about how he's taking it. Mm -hmm. And if they were too loud at first, like, that can be really overwhelming and scary for a kid. Um, did you have any conversations with your audiologist about that, or did he adjust to it on his own? Yeah, he adjusted on his own. He first got turned on, asked me if I'm too loud, and she turned him back down okay. at that appointment. 
Um, it's just he was just nervous about wearing them. Mm-hmm. And we also changed device. He was in the M7 initially. We changed to the Canzos, which he loves now. So that also helped. So he uses the Canzo though. So we've already talked a little bit about in previous episodes with other parents about choosing like which device. Um, and sort of the overall feedback that we get from all parents is that they tell you to just decide on your own. <laughs> what was your experience with choosing which like brand to go with? I've met a few families that use cochlear, and so I think that kind of helped me to make the decision. We have the N7s and the Kenzos, and so Skyler decided that he liked the Kenzos, and so we just kind of let him. Like, I still try to let him try to let him use the N7s, and he refused to. <laughs> I have heard from families that the preference can change over time, so it's nice that you can get two devices here yeah. in the U.S. Um, when we were in Israel, I learned they don't do two devices. What? Yeah, yeah there's some hospitals like that yeah. you know, only get one. I've met some families that only have one. Wow. They were surprised that we had the choice of the Kanto and the N7. Wow. Yeah, it's nice to have one of both, I feel. Or if yeah. you have an option. Having two that you wear in different ways, because yeah. depending on what he wants to do when he's older, he might prefer having something behind his ear. Yeah. I'm not sure. I hope they get smaller. <laughs> <laughs> Things I'm waiting for them to get smaller. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They have, I mean, they have over time. Yeah, they keep getting, getting smaller. Yeah, it's sure, just, it is coming. <laughs> it's just crazy. It blows my mind. So it was difficult to accept. Obviously, Skylar got more used to wearing them. That helped. That helped you accept them. Yeah. Did anything else help you with that process of like accepting using the cochlear implants? Um, seeing him ask for them, uh, and seeing him happy with them, and like seeing him listen and learning to talk has really made me feel a lot better about them. So Skylar, before his implants, was mostly relying on sign to communicate, is that correct? With like a few words, as opposed to like spoken language. Yeah. First he was using spoken language. He received his hearing aids. Yeah. Once he had his hearing he lost the language after he got his hearing aids. He regained some language, and then his hearing loss was progressive, so he wasn't hearing as well, and he relied on um, using sign and lip reading. Mm-hmm. Then he got cochlear implants lost all that language again pre learning. So he was using signing and lip reading again until he started to gain language. Um, and now he just relies on listening. Yeah. <laughs> he does what well, he will use sign, like I said, without his implants on, but yeah. He understands and listens yeah. pretty well now. Uh what was the process sort of overall like when he transitioned? So learning how to listen with cochlear implants is its own whole different thing it's not the same as hearing aids so I remember that time being tough for him both because we were working on the listening which is hard at that point because he hadn't yet learned how to listen with his cochlear implants but then also like just the expectations changed a little bit what was your perspective of that or do you have any thoughts on that at all yeah I definitely agree it was hard for me even to see him lose the language that he had and having to like listen and we learned to talk you know, with these implants on. So it was very hard for me to see him go through that for the third time. I remember having kind of a conversation with you about like spending a little bit of time in the day only working on listening and not doing sign and talking about how that was going to be like probably frustrating for him. I probably didn't do an amazing job at the time of having that conversation. Do you remember that conversation? Yes, I remember. Um, and I spoke with his dad about it. We both tried like having chunks of the day without sign. And his dad doesn't sign, sign as much as I do. So he would just talk to him when he was home. And Skyler was doing well. We noticed that he can't understand without the sign. 
Um, but I didn't really give him opportunity to like, like show us that right. he could do that. Could do it. Yeah. yeah. So it was hard. I would always like sign a word or like sign him. And so when dad would come home, I would just stop and we would just talk to him and yeah. he was doing well. He didn't really get frustrated because he wasn't understanding. I think it was just, um, different. Was just different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like not having the signing. Um, I think over like a month we kind of broke from it because he kind of, he wouldn't really look at us a lot when I was signing. He just started to like use his ears to listen. And so we're like, well, let's just try saying, you know, how it is without him. We can just try talking to him just so he can work on those skills of listening and understanding. A couple months after, he just stopped signing to us. Uh, I, I, he does at night, but during the day, he would just, he doesn't really sign much. So, yeah, I've seen that before with families that you sign in the beginning, um, just because most of the kids' day is in a world where people are using spoken language and they tend to drop the sign when the spoken language becomes easy enough. Mm-hmm. And with some families I've worked with in the past, it's been a difficult transition for the parents because they're so used to communicating with their kid in one way and they've become attached to the sign. Yeah. Just because that's almost they first bonded with their child through using sign language. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've seen that be like, a tough transition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my plan is to still sign with Skyler. Mm-hmm. Um, I want him to learn sign. When his ears off, can't hear me. So I definitely think it will be helpful for him in those times. So he's still exposed to it. His deaf mentor is still involved. Um, and he's in a play group. They use total communication as well. So he um, is still exposed to it, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll continue to use it. What are your like long-term goals for Skyler? I know um, you just kind of mentioned a little bit, but... Um, it sounds like you want him to learn both listening and spoken language and sign language. Do you have any additional thoughts? Yeah. Um, like I said, like I want him to learn just because of the fact that if it's off, he won't hear. If he tells me later that he doesn't want it to be that way, I'm fine with that. I respect his choice. But I just want to provide the sign in case, you know, or if his device break. I don't know if something happens, um, he'll have it. It's a backup language, so mm-hmm. we'll still expose him to it. And he's doing really well, so that's pretty cool, too. Okay, so we'll start wrapping up there, but before we wrap up entirely, do you have any advice for parents who might be debating what mode or communication modes to use with their child? Yes, I would say do your research. Talk with families that have success stories and some that had a rough time. I think it was, for me, I was kind of upset we didn't get to meet any families who weren't successful, uh, meaning that the kids weren't able to talk. I kind of learned about that later and it made me upset because like that could have been my son, you know, so it'd be nice to learn about it up front. So I think, yeah, just asking to meet some families whose kid didn't do so well with the cochlear implants. I don't really know how you would that, but. <laughs> I, that's <laughs> an interesting yeah. way to phrase it. I think, um, yeah, that's not like any feedback that I've heard before, but I think that's really important. You know, every kid progresses differently and like you said you don't know what your kid is gonna look like so yeah because I met a lot of families whose kids were doing really well and it wasn't until later that I started to meet some kids who uh, could hear but weren't able to talk and so it was kind of scary like to find out later after getting my kid implanted that you know he could go that route we were told I think after the surgery um or maybe like when he was gonna have the surgery that there's a chance he wouldn't even talk and I was like wait what <laughs> you know yeah. it didn't click to me until like that moment, like I, I heard about it, like kept learning that that was, like, but it didn't really like click and sit in until um, before his surgery. And I was like, wait, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. yeah uh, doing so, that. So, yeah, yeah I, when I met the kids, I like it was, you know, it was nice. I thought it was nice to see those families still. I'm like, 
um, the kids were able to hear, just they weren't able to vocalize. And they used sign to communicate, and they, you know, were able to listen. So mm-hmm. it was nice, yeah. Yeah, I haven't heard that either. Um, something that I think would be good to ask as well as the factors that go into that. Um, kids are so different, and there's a lot of different factors that have been shown through research that lead to certain outcomes. So knowing what those are ahead of time, why some kids do better than others, I think is good to ask. Yeah. I remember asking out y'all well, I was kind of upset with them, but ask us. Like, no one really shared this with us. You know, there's a chance. Like, we were only told the success stories and things. So it was nice. I was able to meet families whose kids didn't do so well with them. And the families are open to talk about it. You mentioned, like, I don't know how you would ask that. It's the professional's job to answer your questions. And even if it feels kind of strange for, like, other parents out there who might have questions but don't know exactly how to ask them, just go for it because we've probably heard it before. But also, like, if we have it, that's it's good for us to know that that was helpful for you. I like that advice for parents. And then do you have any advice for professionals who are helping families um, either throughout the whole process or specifically about um, that time when they are deciding on a communication mode? Every child is different. It's okay to change your teaching style to meet the kids' needs. Um, please talk to the parents about what's best for them and respect the child um, when they are showing and telling you, you know, that is too much. Um, communicate with other therapists, I think, is really important. Like, working as a team, I think, really helped us. So I think that's something I found helpful when everyone would, like, get together and kind of figure out what's working best for the kids. And then as far as, like, communication modes, I think allowing the parents to choose. I think just telling them, giving the parents the option, then letting them pick what they want and not pushing one over the other. I thought I got a lot. I got that a lot. They were telling me, like, oh, you shouldn't do this or do things this way. And um, I think it's providing information for me and letting me decide what I want and what I think is best for my child. I really have learned, like, so much from working with you. I think you've gone way above and beyond in creating a team for Skylar and really, like, being the leader of that team. For our listeners, Dawn has coordinated different co-treats. She's asked us to, you know, call and check in with the other providers. Um, She makes sure that she's always at the meetings. She's involved in all the sessions. Like, you just do such a good job of gaining all the information that you can about Skylar and his development and then making sure that everybody is on the same page. And two, like you said, both in, like, making choices about communication mode, but also just in general, like, you're the expert on your son. And the professionals are all the experts in their own areas, but you're the expert on your son. And so early intervention is all about that collaboration and I've learned so much from you and from Skylar. Like, he's just <laughs> such an incredible little guy. So, I like, too, what you said about how we as professionals can individualize our teaching styles um, and also the way we work with families. Because I also feel you've just individualized so much your parenting of Skylar. Everything is based on his needs. And like you said, following his lead and respecting his opinions and how he's growing. Thank you. <laughs> So before we wrap up, Jessica and I just wanted to go back to the advice that Dawn offered for families in the episode. Kind of talk about the advice she had. We both feel like we didn't do a really good job of telling her. I think she questioned like how she would broach this topic with professionals and just wanted to go back and talk about it a bit. Mm -hmm. So Dawn had mentioned that after her son had received his implants, she met some families of kiddos who had implants, but had a range of different, what we refer to as outcomes. So spoken language skills, auditory skills, um, sign skills, et cetera. So 
She basically said when we first learned about cochlear implants, we were introduced to families who had children who had cochlear implants and were talking a lot. But after meeting a lot of other families, we learned that there are all sorts of different outcomes for kids with cochlear implants. Yeah, and this is something that Dawn was saying she wished she had known in the beginning, which I think is a totally valid perspective. When you're out in the world and you meet a family whose child might have cochlear implants and you see such a range of outcomes that can be really confusing, especially if you're not familiar with all the research. So I sort of alluded to the research on the episode, but we didn't get too far into it. So we just wanted to get a little bit more into it before we close out. Mm -hmm. So when we're looking at kids who have cochlear implants and like Tatum said, you don't know their background, it can seem really random. Like maybe this kiddo just got implants like my kid did, but he's not talking and that's really scary. But what we know through research is that there are a lot of different factors that contribute to outcomes for kids who have cochlear implants. Mm -hmm. So some of the ones I can think of off the top of my head is the age that you're diagnosed with hearing loss. So we know getting diagnosed younger, getting intervention younger, getting amplification or hearing aids or cochlear implants at a younger age can lead to what we might call like better spoken language outcomes. So you might be more successful at using spoken language. Another one is what we call wear time. So if your child is wearing their cochlear implant more, then we might see better outcomes. And there are all sorts of different reasons why kids do and do not wear their cochlear implants all day. But your audiologist is probably telling you the goal is all waking hours. And that's because we know that the more sounds and words and language that a child is exposed to throughout the day results in usually better outcomes. Other things that might play a role that research shows is the type of intervention that you're in, how early you get entered into an intervention program of some kind, whether that be like speech therapy or rehab therapy, and then also auditory access. Yeah. Yeah. So Teresa mentioned this a little bit in our episode two weeks ago. There are a lot of different factors that go into auditory access too, which we won't get into necessarily. But if you have questions about that, you can listen to Teresa's episode on counseling families on communication mode. That was two weeks ago. Or you can listen to some of the earlier episodes from last season. We had two episodes in last season about the cochlear implant process. And on one of those episodes, our two audiologists from Child's Voice talked about the candidacy process. And some of that will probably answer some of those questions. Definitely. So as a wrap up to this, Dawn had asked, how would I ask an audiologist or a therapist to see kiddos who have a range of communication modes and skills and levels? And what we think is a good way to frame it is first by starting with your kiddo. So what are the expected outcomes for my kiddo? What do you see his or her language skills looking like long-term? And then if you are interested, you could also ask about the range of outcomes for kids and the factors that play into that. Mm -hmm. um, and that will probably come up anyways if you're asking about your child's outcomes. I think Don brought up a really good point that sometimes as professionals, we don't always emphasize that there are a range of outcomes and we don't always talk to families about all of the factors that research shows plays into it. So I do think it's like important that she brought up this topic. So why don't we wrap things up there. Don, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Listeners, we would love to hear your reactions from today's episode. You can email us at podcast at childsvoice.org and you can find episode show notes and archived episodes at our Child's Voice website, which is childsvoice.org slash podcast. 
Next time, we will be talking with Michael Douglas about bilingualism and dual language learning in children who have hearing loss. We are really excited to have him on the show, and we think it's going to be an amazing episode, so please be sure to tune in. We release episodes of All Ears at Child's Voice every other week on Wednesdays. You may have noticed some of our recent episodes sounding significantly better than our earlier episodes, and that's because we're very honored and grateful to have the help of a sound engineer. His name is John McCourtney, so special thanks to John for editing this episode. And then you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Tatum Fritz SLP, and you can find Jessica at Jessica Breck SLP. And if you're interested in learning more about Child's Voice, Child's Voice is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the handle at child's underscore voice, no apostrophe. We'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening.